Live from this is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! Oh! He broke his head. Follow me. Follow me to freedom. Ready for this. Here's your host, Mike Phillips. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of the Just End the Suffering Podcast, featuring New York sports talk and long-suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. I got a very fun show for you today. March Madness is here. We are doing our March Madness special here on the podcast. The brackets are out. The tournament starts this week. First four on Thursday. First round on Friday and Saturday. Sunday, Monday, we're going to the second round. Set up for a fun March Madness. We're going to have a deep, deep episode today, diving into the brackets, into the madness. And we're joined by Fansides College Sports Editor Patrick Schmidt. We are going to break down some of the brackets, break down the matchups here, talk a little bit about the college basketball as a whole, look ahead to this first weekend, what games looking forward to in the first round, give you some upset ideas, talk about who's the favorites to get to the Final Four, all that good stuff with Patrick Schmidt. We're also going to dive into the betting aspects of March Madness, do a little show me the money college basketball edition with Sports Grid's Kevin Walsh. We are going to talk about the betting angles, how you're picking your upsets, what kind of bets you want to make. Is it really Gonzaga or the field? Is there value in betting on Gonzaga? We're going to talk about all those things and more with Kevin in just a bit. We'll also go to the two-minute drill as we coming back or a little hiatus. Give you my take on why you should only fill out one bracket. Don't be that guy who is filling out 15 brackets trying to win the pool. I will tell you about that at the end of the show, but we'll get all started with our opening tip. A little instant reaction to the bracket reveal on Selection Sunday with Troy Morial, the Seeing Red podcast, right after this. Two, one. Y'all ready for this? The opening tip. And here we go. All right, opening tip time here on the podcast. Doing some instant reaction to the brackets. We are recording on Selection Sunday. Joining me today... The host of the Seeing Red podcast. I'm really hearing from on this podcast quite a bit in March. Troy Morial is here. Troy, how are you? I'm doing good, Mike. How are you doing tonight? Pretty good. It's a long way since last year I was talking to you, trying to figure out what was going on at the end, and you were leaving the Big East tournament at halftime because of COVID. Now we actually have a bracket. We have matchups coming on Thursday, Friday. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's uh, it's a lot better. It's hectic, but you know you'd rather have hectic than sitting at home doing nothing at this time last year. So we appreciate that for sure. Yeah, I'd say it's been a fun season. You and I have been following throughout, and we got our brackets in front of us. We have the 68 teams in the field. So what is some general, when you first saw this bracket, what are your general thoughts? Yeah, I mean, you know, not even related to the actual bracket. It's just, it's going to be an absolutely wide open year, I think. You know, obviously you have, you know, your teams like Gonzaga and Baylor, Michigan, Illinois, the one seeds that, you know, you would expect to come out, you know, and, and win their region, sure. But it is March Madness, and I think that we're going to see maybe a little bit of extra madness this year, if you will, um, you know, with the, you know, playing this all in a bubble in Indianapolis, no travel, um, you know, you know, just no home court advantage, I guess you could say as well, you know, with teams, no crowds really, or limited crowds, I guess. So, you know, it, it's interesting to see how these teams react to this, and then you obviously throw everything with COVID in there as well. You know, what teams are going to drop out, if any. You have these teams on standby, which we've never seen before. 
Um, and Louisville was one of them. I think uh, um, St. Yep. Louis was another one. Yeah, yeah, a couple standby teams. We've never seen that before. Is Virginia going to play? Is Kansas going to play? So it's it's like we mentioned before. It's going to be an absolute mess, but it's it's going to be fun, and and hopefully we play uh, every game that's scheduled, and hopefully we we crown a winner uh, a couple of weeks from now. Yes, and also shout out to the Duke fans who thought for some reason they were going to be in the field entirely. Like this team had no chance, and they saw they. They were like, they had to withdraw from the AC tournament because they had the positive COVID test. You're like, okay, that's it for them. And they kind of knew that. They're mm-hmm. like, okay, you know, here we go. Like, our season's over. We're not going to waste our time at the NIT. We're going to say our streak ended because of COVID, not because we didn't get picked. And then yesterday they had this whole thing like, well, if we get picked, we'll be able to go. And then they're not even in the replacement team pool. So they do cater. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, it was that was a little odd when they when they said, you know, if, if we're picked, we'll go. Well, obviously they were never going to get picked. So yeah, yeah that that was a little strange from from them on on their part. Maybe a, a little overzealous thinking that they they could sneak in with a couple of teams dropping out and you know, but I don't, I don't know, especially with the the couple of bid stealers that we saw that I'm sure we'll get to in a second. I don't think that there was really ever any chance for Duke after they dropped out of the ACC. No, I think the bid steal is definitely knocked Duke out of the, at least the group of replacement teams. I feel they might yeah. be on the fringe of that just because they're Duke and they had a decent enough resume to fit in that group. But I think let's talk about the selection committee here because obviously every year we had bones to pick with them. I agree. Let's take a look at the bracket in general. Like, how do you think they did? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I don't have a, a whole lot of, of complaints. Um, one thing that I noticed right away Loyola Chicago as an eight seed. I, I feel like that's a little bit low for them. Um, you know, I think that they're, they were a top 25 team a lot of this year. So putting them as an eight seed feels just a little bit low there. Um, and they get a really interesting first round matchup really um, with Georgia tech as well. I think a team like Texas tech as a six seed, maybe was a little underseeded. I haven't really seen that a whole lot. Um, but you know, in, in terms of the, the last couple of teams in obviously Wichita state, Drake, um, Michigan State being in the first four, which I don't think anyone saw coming. Uh, UCLA sneaking into the field as well. And then obviously the big one is Syracuse not even playing in the, in the first four, which I think, you know, we kind of all assumed was going to happen if they were even going to make it. You know, talking about bubble teams, there's a reason why they're on the bubble. It's because they all have flaws and they all, you know, don't have the strongest resumes in the world or else they would be in the tournament uh, as is as an at-large team. So you know, in, in terms of, of the bubble teams, I can never really complain all that much. I, I was a fan of, of one of them this year, and I could tell you that, you know, they, they have a lot of flaws, these teams. So one or the other, you know, I think that they did a fine job. Louisville obviously is out. You know, you put a team like Michigan State maybe a little lower than you thought. Syracuse a little bit higher. You know, little things like that. But, but you know, nothing that, that really stands out to me is they got it totally wrong. Yeah, I'll, I'll speak as a Michigan State fan. I will say, you know what, like, they deserve to be down near the bottom of that list. They had a really rough year, but the wins at the end helped them out. The little Chicago points are interesting, though, because that was something I noticed. I write some stuff for Fanside as well. So I took a deep dive into their team sheet. I mean, right now they are top 10 both in the net and on the Ken Palm rankings. The number 9 Ken Palm, I think number 10 on the net. And you mm-hmm. figure this is like one of the, according to the metrics, one of the 10 best teams in college basketball. Instead, they're an 8 seed. They're playing Illinois the in the second round. They get out of that first round game, and that's a rough road. Yeah. And that's, that's a really interesting, I mean, that, that Midwest region, I'm sure we'll get into it a little bit more. That Midwest region is absolutely stacked. When you look at Loyola Chicago as the eight seed, Georgia tech, who just won the ACC as the nine seed. I mean, you've got Tennessee, you've got Oregon state who just won the PAC 12 Oklahoma state, West Virginia, Rutgers, even Houston as the two seed. I mean, that is a, a stacked Midwest region. Uh, Going to be really tough to get out. 
and I'm looking forward. Hopefully we get, you know, Illinois and, and Loyola in the second round and then uh, maybe an Illinois and, Ohio, uh, and uh, Oklahoma State matchup, maybe even in the Sweet 16. I would I would absolutely be interested in watching that one for sure. Yeah. A.O. the Sumo versus Kate Cunningham. We must see TV. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's, you know, those are the matchups that you dream about in March Madness. So that would definitely be one of them for sure. Yeah, let's go back to the bubble for me. We have to talk about Syracuse because I remember on Saturday night I was texting you, uh, people on the podcast here at the first time, that we're watching the Big East final when Georgetown beats Creighton. They just blow them out of the building. We're sitting here. You know, how funny would this be if Georgetown's the one who steals Syracuse's bid? Because I figure at that point everybody has, you know, first four, maybe maybe on the brink. I think at one point some brackets that was the last team in. Not only they not in the first four, they are clearly in the field. They get a clean number 11 seed against San Diego State. They're playing in that 6-11 game, playing into potentially, I forget who who the three seed is in that. I think it's West Virginia, correct? Yeah, it's West Virginia, yep. Yeah, I'm sitting there. I see that pop up on the screen. I'm just sitting there going, What the hell's going on out here? Like, like what did they see in Syracuse that made them say, we had to put this team in? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't fully get it. You know, uh, Syracuse is one of those teams that it, it feels like they're always kind of getting the benefit of the doubt from the the committee a little bit. I think they were what one in one in seven in quad yeah. one games this year. Uh, certainly didn't have the resume of a team that should be you know cleanly in the tournament. And then, like you mentioned, you know, in the last twenty four hours, we had uh, two teams enter the field that would not have have been in the field normally. These bid stealers, as we call them, in Georgetown and uh, Oregon State presumably, you know, we thought could have been knocking out Syracuse from the field or at the very least, you know, you would think knocking them into the first four if they were cleanly in the field. But I guess that the committee must have seen something on Syracuse resume that, you know, vaulted them over a Michigan State or a UCLA or even a team like Wichita State that, that was the one seed in the American uh, Conference this season. They, they won the regular season in the American. I know that the American isn't, you know, one of the top conferences in the uh, – in the country, but it's still a very decent conference there uh, knocked out in the semifinals. And now they're playing in the first four while Syracuse jumps them and uh, has, you know, a bye, I guess you'll say into the, into the first round of the tournament. So definitely a, a head scratcher there for sure. That's what I'm just, I was just perplexed. As I started looking at team sheets, I mean, I look at Syracuse's team sheet, their best wins are like they beat North Carolina at home. Yeah. They beat mm-hmm. Clemson at home. Mm-hmm. They had a win over Virginia tech when Virginia tech was coming off COVID pause. And yeah. They got swept by Pittsburgh, and Pittsburgh is not very good in the ACC. So that's mm-hmm. one you stare at. You mentioned Wichita State. They beat Houston. Houston was a two-seed on the bracket. Drake is another one that was in the playing games. And Drake, at least split with Loyola Chicago, who are going to the best, one of the 10 best teams in the country. I don't know how those two teams got like jumped by Syracuse. Yeah, yeah. Wichita State is, is the one that, that really, you know, makes me scratch my head. Because as I mentioned, I mean, you know, the American is not this, this fantastic conference, obviously, but it's still a strong conference. And to, to win the regular season in that conference and then, you know, lose to, uh, to Cincinnati, I believe, which, which is a bad loss, don't get me wrong, uh, on Saturday, you know, to be dropped into the first four then, and that's kind of a, a, a bad situation for them. But yeah, I mean, like you mentioned, Syracuse, we were sitting here on Thursday after they lost on that buzzer beater thinking, you know, does that knock them out? Was was their resume strong enough? And then given what transpired over the next uh, 48 hours, I guess you would say, I, I didn't think that it was. I, I was surprised to see them in. And then I was even more surprised to see them in the field of, of 64, really not even having to play in that first four. And knowing their history and knowing how hard it is for teams to get ready for that 2-3 zone on short noise, would you be all surprised if somebody ended up the Sweet 16 after all of this? Yeah, you know, I, I, I've i seen Syracuse, you know, make some runs before, but I, I don't think it'll be this year. 
in, uh, you know, like you said, the, the, the road that they have is, is just too tough going up against, you know, a six seed in uh, San Diego state and then having to play West Virginia, you know, p- potentially in the second round. I, I don't think that's in the cards for this year, at least. Yeah, I think one thing I also noticed in the committee this year that I like was that they gave more love to the mid-majors than they usually do because usually those teams, like your Drakes, like your Wichita States, like Utah State even, got Utah State got cleanly in the field. A lot of people had them as either first four out or like in that first four at least. And I'm happy to see them give some love to the mid-majors, especially the ones who can achieve and get a lot of wins and not, you know, sort of be this scuffling, you know, high major team that has a bunch of losses and say, oh, well, they played a lot of good teams and you can excuse the loss. They get them in. I think it was good to see the mids get rewarded a little bit. Yeah. We had a lot of mid major teams on the, on the uh, bubble this year, including a bunch in the mountain West uh, actually. And, and you're right. And I mean, the, your, to your point, you know, we have Michigan state and UCLA uh, two kind of blue bloods, you know, you know, historic college basketball programs playing in the first four. Like you mentioned, you had Louisville, another, you know, classic college basketball program, not even in the field of 68. So, I, I mean, it is, it is interesting. I, I saw a lot of that, you know, saying that the, the um, you know, a lot of bracketologists saying that they might kind of go towards more mid-majors this year than any other year before, and maybe only playing in, you know, conference play maybe had something to do with that. But it is kind of refreshing to see some of these smaller schools getting some shine as opposed to, you know, the same 10, 15, you know, schools over and over again, for sure. Yeah, it is. And I, since we're talking about the snubs here, who do you think are the biggest snubs in the field this year? I feel like Louisville's got to be up there. Anybody else you feel like upset did not get in? Yeah, I guess Louisville would be the only one. And even Louisville, you know, you had a chance in the ACC tournament and you didn't, you didn't take it or not even a chance, but, you know, taking care of, of, a, of a, you know, a not very good Duke team could have pretty much locked you into the, to the tournament, I think. Um, and they didn't do it. You know, if, if you give the committee a chance or, or a, you know, a reason to keep you out of the field, they're probably going to do it. And in, in Louisville's case, they did that in the last week. And, you know, it stinks. But, yeah, I don't – like I mentioned before, you know, the, these bubble teams that, that are, you know, have these, you know, not great records, I guess you could say, they all have flaws. You know, they all have issues with them. They're all not, you know, these top flight teams or else they would be, you know, cleanly in the field. So I, I don't get too worked up over, you know, oh, this team got in or this team didn't get in. Uh, Louisville, I guess, is the one. But even Louisville, you know, kind of played themselves out. I felt bad for that. I felt bad for St. Louis, too. I felt like there was a point where I felt the committee sort of punching these teams about the COVID pauses because they didn't have as many opportunities to pick up these quality wins, especially like the Billikens, because that team I've watched there a couple of times. They are good enough to win games in the tournament. But this is one of those things where they only play 20 games. They had some bad loss in there coming off a of COVID pause. It's like, that was one thing I felt bad for. I'm like, hey, like, if this team had a chance to play more games, they could have done well. And, like, I know the committee was late in the week said, no, you can't schedule extra games. They was taught they were going to try and pick up a game to boost their resume. I felt bad for them. Yeah, and, you know, even, you know, to your point there, you know, limited non-conference as well. They didn't have, a, a you know, a great chance to really, you know, pick up maybe some non-conference wins or, or play some non-conference games. And for a team like that, obviously, uh, you know, in the A-10, but, but you know, in, in not one of these power conferences – you know, you need every chance that you can get to not have an opportunity to even play after they lost in their conference tournament uh, this week to pick up another game. Stinks for them. You know, it's, it's just a byproduct of the year, though. You know, you're going to have a couple of teams that, you know, went on these pauses and, and struggled to get out of them. Um, that's why, you know, it was really just as important to kind of stay healthy as it was, you know, to, to play well on the, on the court. So, 
stinks obviously, but um, you know, unfortunately not a whole lot you can do about these, these pauses that these teams had to go through. Yeah, they, they couldn't. And I will say also a little plug for Iona here, local, local representation here. They and Rutgers are basically the two from this area along with UConn that made the field and Iona Rick Patino held the job there. You know, this is a team that basically played five games in three months because of a very long COVID <laughs> pause. And then, they go around Atlantic City. They could see it ninth because the Mac has the stupidest tiebreaker I've ever seen. And you know what? Four wins in five days. They're facing Alabama. You know, and that could be an easy game for them, but they're there. Yeah, I'll I'll give them credit as as one of the teams that you know went to a pause, obviously, and, and didn't get killed by it. You know, played played well out of the pause. That obviously speaks to the coaching job that uh, that staff did this year for sure. You know, going through a pause, going through multiple pauses actually, and never really you know missing a beat. I guess you could say. Uh, just, you know, it, it was so team to team based on how they were going to deal with these uh, these stoppages and some teams handled it better than others. Yeah, indeed. And let's get to the first round. Obviously, we got these we got our first 64, 64 matchups set here. Well, obviously, waiting to play in winners in the first four games. But which games jump out to you and say, I, I'm making sure I want, I'm going to have time to watch these games. Yeah, uh, one right off the bat that that's really interesting to me. Uh, UConn against Maryland in the East region, the 7-10 the matchup. Uh, I think UConn is a potential team that could make a run here. Um, you know, they could be matched up, obviously, with a team like Alabama in the second round, who I think that they can get by. Um, that's an interesting game to me. You know, UConn, obviously, Maryland, two kind of, you don't want to say blue blood programs, but two, you know, really you know, strong historical programs that have a history of making runs deep into this tournament. And now they play in the first round there. Um, I'm going to stick in the Big East too, actually. Uh, Villanova, Winthrop, and Creighton in UC Santa Barbara. I have to admit, I don't know much about Winthrop and UC Santa Barbara, uh, but it's interesting to see two Big East teams in, in a 5-12 game. Obviously, Creighton is a team that's dealing with a whole lot of you know off the uh, off the court things. Villanova lost their best player, so two Big East teams in, in a in a 5-12 matchup, which is uh, kind of interesting to me to, to to see that. And then I'm going to go Clemson and Rutgers as well. The uh, the 7-10 in the uh, Midwest region. You know, Rutgers is a team that I don't think has, has played to their potential really all season long. I thought that they were going to be, you know, a perennial top 25, you know, contending team, you know, maybe a team that could be seated, you know, somewhere in like that 4-5 range going into the year at least. They never really, you know, lived up to that. They never really even gotten any big wins really. They kind of more just took care of business in the games that they should have won. You know, they don't have a really bad draw. You know, I think Rutgers has, has a decent draw here against a Clemson team that's not great. And then Houston, who I, I think you would say is probably the weakest of the four uh, number two seeds. So there's a chance there for Rutgers to make some noise in their first NCAA tournament in a while. Uh, but it starts with that game against Clemson. So those are just a couple of games that, uh, that definitely caught my eye. And um, yeah, I, I mean, also I have, to, I have to say too, in the East region, uh, Michigan State and UCLA, the winner of that game gets BYU. I've seen BYU play a couple of games. They obviously uh, gave Gonzaga a game about a week ago in the WCC final. So, you know, whoever wins that game going on to face BYU, I think it's kind of an interesting dynamic there. You know, two blue blood programs facing off for the right to play, to face, uh, you know, mighty BYU in the, in the first round. That's kind of an interesting one to me. So that's going to be an interesting dynamic as well. Yeah. I'll add a few more than mix here. I think, and I love those eight, nine games, the, Obviously, the one you mentioned before, Loyola Chicago, Georgia Tech's fascinating because Georgia Tech is one of the hottest teams in the country right now. Loyola Chicago, obviously a top 10 team according to the metrics. The LSU St. Bonaventure game will also be a lot of fun because the Tigers cannot play defense to save their lives. And the, body, the Bonnies are one of the best defensive teams in the country. So 
That's going to be a fan- fascinating contrast of styles. North Carolina, Wisconsin, another 8-9 traditional, like, blue bloods there. Carolina is going to throw back here this year because they like to play back to the basket, and they have so many bigs they can throw at you. It's going to be a lot of fun there. I will also say, if you're looking for offense, Arkansas Colgate in that yeah. region there. Mm-hmm. First to 110 is going to win that game. <laughs> yeah, and, and I mean, you, you spoke on the uh, the net earlier. Colgate is, I think, number nine in the yeah. net right now. They're, they're a top 10 team in the net. Obviously, you know, I think that one might be a little bit flawed, <laughs> something going on with that for sure, uh, with the way that the Patriot League did their, their schedule this year. But if you believe that, I mean, Colgate and, uh, and Arkansas is the game to watch. A lot of people are putting Arkansas – on upset alert, I don't know about that, but that's going to be a fun game for sure. Yeah, another one that's going to be fun in terms of the upset potential is uh, Virginia and Ohio out in the West region mm-hmm. because Ohio has a guy named Jason Preston who, who I've seen him play. He played against Iona last year. I was in the truck working that game. That guy is a star. That guy has a chance to be a future NBA player. This team shoots 36% from three as a team, so... They have a good chance to hit their outside shots, beat the Virginia pack line defense. I would not be shocked if Ohio beats Virginia in the first round. Yeah, and with Virginia, you you got to keep in mind, obviously, right now they're in uh, they're in their quarantine. You know, Tony Bennett said earlier tonight, right after the bracket was released, that a couple a bunch of his players are in quarantine right now. They hope to get out at on Thursday, so they're not practicing until Thursday at the earliest. Right now, they're going to go to Indianapolis on Friday if if they register all negative tests from from here until then. Fly to Indianapolis on Friday and then play an NCAA tournament game on Saturday. So. Not an ideal situation. I think a lot of people are going to be picking that that upset, uh, Ohio over Virginia, for sure. Also, another team in a similar spot that had a rough draw is p- poor Kansas. Because Kansas, we know they're not big inside. And who might they get in the second? Obviously, the first round game, we think they're not going to win. They get through that, they get Evan Mobley in USC. Not great for if you're, don't, if you're weak on the interior. Get through that, yeah. you get Luca Garza. Not a lot of fun if you're a Jayhawk fan. <laughs> no, that was not the the the... the region that you would want to be seated in if you're Kansas you're absolutely right uh you know you assume they get through their first round game but obviously a tough matchup with a six seed in USC another team uh, I'm very high on the Pac-12 I think the Pac-12 is better than people gave it credit for so another USC team that's kind of strong as a six seed there and then like you mentioned Luca Garza and Iowa if you're able to get through them in the Sweet 16 not not a great draw for Kansas for sure no I also think the 512 is a lot of fun ones and Georgetown, Colorado is fascinating because Colorado is probably the best team in that league that they didn't they lost in the conference tournament final. Oregon State and Georgetown, we saw the biggies week, red hot from three. Patrick Ewing's got this team really fired up. This could there could be a live dog out there. Yeah, and Georgetown is another uh, you know fascinating one. Obviously, this this incredible run, you know, four four wins in four days in the Big East tournament. But now you take off uh, what I'm not sure if they're playing Friday or uh, or Saturday in, in the in the NCAA, but still you take off six, seven days then after that incredible run, you wonder like how much of that momentum is going to carry over. You know, are, are we going to get the same Georgetown team that just, you know, won four straight games in the Big East tournament? Or are we going to get the Georgetown team that we saw, you know, basically the rest of the season? It's, it's very, it's a very interesting dynamic with Georgetown, at least, you know, with this week off after this incredible four days of basketball. Yeah, I will also say two five. Like, there's a lot of Big East flavor in the five twelves this year because you said the two fives. Villanova's going down. I'm calling that one right now because that that Winthrop team is 23 and one out of the Big South. They score 80 points a game. Villanova did not look the same without Colin Gillespie because we saw what happened after they lost him. They lost to Butler. Butler shot the lights out against them. We they lost to Georgetown in the Big East tournament. Those are not very good teams on a on the whole this year. I know Georgetown got hot the Big East tournament, but. 
Winthrop lost one game all season, and they are going down there. I think they're going to knock them out. The the one thing I will say about Villanova, and, and uh, someone else brought this up tonight, they've had two losses since Colin Gillespie went down. One was on a tip-in at the buzzer, basically, against Providence, and then one was that close loss um, against uh, Georgetown in the Big East tournament. So they do have the two losses, obviously, and they're two bad losses for sure, but they they were close games at least. But you're right. I mean, that's that's a, a spot there where, you know, that 5-12, a lot of people like to pick the 5-12 upset. Villanova, without their best player and their leader, certainly seems uh, ripe for an upset there in the, in the first round. Yeah, I'd say those two, and obviously there's a lot of these teams too. It's a lot of guys who have – a lot of teams are coming in with these key injuries. You mentioned the COVID things at Kansas, Virginia – Villanova, no Colin Gillespie. Michigan without Isaiah Livers, a completely different basketball team. Their one, two, their draw is pretty tough. Like, I would fade the Wolverines pretty hard if, if he's not, if Livers is not healthy this tournament. Yeah, and they got a, you know, a tough second round matchup potentially against either LSU or St. Bonaventure, like you mentioned, two pretty strong teams. So, tough draw for Michigan as well, right out of the gate. Uh, and especially, like you mentioned, without one of their best players. Going to be interesting to see how they respond to that as well. And Florida State looming the Sweet 16, and that's a very deep basketball team Leonard Hamilton has down there. Yeah, absolutely. Florida State's got a bunch of guys that they can throw at you too, so you're not ready for them. Like like you mentioned, I mean, I mean, just getting through, obviously, LSU and St. Bonaventure, then potentially having to face off with someone like Florida State. Colorado, like you mentioned, one of the best teams in the Pac-12 this season. It's going to be a bumpy road for Michigan if they're going to make it out of that East region. Yeah, I feel like you barely mentioned Gonzaga because it's such a given that it could be in the Final Four. But if you look at their draw, it's also interesting that they played the regular season. They played the two, the three, and the four in their region. Obviously beat all of them pretty convincingly and getting, getting through the non-conference schedule. So you're Gonzaga, you're Mark, you're looking at your broad. Like, man, I feel pretty good about this. Yeah, I actually didn't even, even realize that. You're absolutely right, though. Iowa, uh, Mich- uh, Iowa Kansas, and uh, Virginia knocked off all three of them, Gonzaga, and pretty, pretty easily all three, yeah. I mean, Gonzaga is the team to beat. You know, there's really no other way to say it. Obviously, undefeated this season. Uh, I, I honestly, if I was Gonzaga, a Gonzaga fan, I would have been okay with them losing in that uh, in that conference tournament final last week when they were down pretty big to BYU. I wouldn't have hated that to just go into the tournament with one loss to not have that pressure of uh, of trying to complete the undefeated season. But yeah, I mean, no team really matches up with them. Like you mentioned, they they really run through the teams in their region already. So that can they do it again? Uh, we'll see. But, but you know, uh, right now Gonzaga is, is clearly the team to beat. Yeah. I feel like this is one of those years in the pools. If you're in the bracket pools, you and I are both in a bracket pool. This is one of those things you have to sit there as you're filling your bracket and think, do I put, do I go with Gonzaga and hope I get everything right? Or do I take the shot? Somebody beats them and then hope that I'm one of the only ones who has it and wins the pool that way. That's the risk you have to run this year. Yeah, exactly. You, you got, you got to figure that out. Cause I, I think a lot of people are going to end up with Gonzaga, but it's it's the road that gets there. You know, do you do you go with Gonzaga, but then a lot of upsets everywhere else, or do you go kind of you know chalk and, and knock off Gonzaga kind of early? It's uh it's something that I'm going to have to consider when I'm filling out my bracket. Yeah, obviously it's too way too early. The brackets came out like three hours ago, so from us, so we're not going to give you final four predictions here. They will come a little later in the podcast. I'm going to have some more guests on, but Troy and I are going to be coming on to the, coming to you on the podcast quite frequently throughout March. We'll be checking in. Basically every week until the end of the tournament. So we're we be back next week. Talk about the first weekend. Set you up for the Sweet 16. Then we'll talk about the Final Four. Get you ready for that. And after that, break down the National Championship game. And sort of set up next year. So it'll be a fun run through March here. Yeah, definitely looking forward to it. You know, it's the best best couple of weeks of the year. You know, we've already gotten through the conference tournaments. Now we go into the NCAA tournament, the big one. 
Uh, missed it for a year, but we're happy to have it back, and I'm happy to be on here with you breaking it all down. Yeah, it'll be a lot of fun because last year, I mean, on that first, like, because literally as COVID happened, it shut down in the middle of championship week. We had we were three days away from Selection Sunday. We lost it, and then on that first Thursday afterwards, when we, we would have had that game tipping at 12 noon, I just felt it. I'm like, man, I missed this. And I know this year's be different because we obviously a couple days delayed because you have to account for the COVID, like, testing, getting everybody in there, but we're in for fun tournament. Yeah, yeah, it's it's good to have it back after that year off. It, it, it feels like five years since we had an NCAA tournament, so definitely good to have it back for sure. Yeah, sure. I want to thank you for coming on today. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, I'll be a follow social media keyword with the Seeing Red podcast. Sure, yeah, you can follow me on, on Twitter at Troy Moriello, uh, M-A-U-R-I-E-L-L-O is the last name. If you're a St. John's basketball fan, first of all, I'm sorry. Uh, we, had a, we had a tough uh, last week going but uh, if you are a st john's basketball fan if you're just a big east fan in general definitely check out my podcast the uh the seeing red podcast we cover st john's basketball and a little spice of big east basketball as well yeah from what i've been hearing too it does not sound like they want to go to the nit and i cannot blame them because after this year you didn't make the tournament you didn't want to go sit in a bubble in texas for 10 days i really would not yeah no i i, I totally understand the decision to uh to not play in the nit like like you mentioned, I mean, they've, they've essentially been in a bubble for the past three months now. I, I can't blame them for, uh, for sitting out the NIT, which is really just a meaningless tournament for, for experience. Uh, in, a, in a normal year, it would have been fun, but this year I can totally understand. Yeah, because a lot of things with the tournament, it's like, oh, you know, like, besides the games, like, oh, you get to do fun stuff in the city you're in, you get to have some fun, and at least in the regular, the NIT, you're going to other campuses, you're getting some true road experience. This does nothing for you, really. So if you're a high major school, I'm sh- I'd be shocked to see many of them in this thing. Yeah, and and you don't even get the the fun of of maybe playing in the garden for the last uh you know for the semifinals and the finals. So, at the end of the day, not 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 worth it for sure to be in a bubble somewhere in Texas. I think uh, for a couple of weeks. Yeah, it is not Troy. Thanks again. I really appreciate it. Right. Absolutely, Mike. Talk soon. All right, we're talking soon. Up next, I'm going to dive deeper into the brackets here with Fan Science College Sports Editor Patrick Schmidt. Right after this. are back here rolling on in our March Madness podcast special. Joining me today, the editor of College Sports Coverage over at Fanside, Patrick Schmidt is here. Patrick, how are you? I'm great. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, good to talk to you again. I remember last year we were supposed to do is we had to talk about how the March Madness is canceled. Now, a year later, we have brackets in our hands again. It feels nice. Yeah, it feels great. I mean, last year was such a, man, everything, you know, I think the, the emotion kind of speaks for itself there, but yeah, I was, was excited to get to Selection Sunday. Had a couple of, uh, you know, reminders of how tenuous the situation is with, you know, Duke and Kansas and um, Virginia having to pull out of their conference tournaments. But we made it uh, a couple more days away until the, the tournament gets off or kicks off in earnest. And now I'm excited for the full weekends again and filling out brackets and, you know, all of the madness that comes with March. So I'm pumped. Yeah, I'm pumped too. It's also a very different NCAA tournament because you look at the bracket, Duke's not there, Kentucky's not there, Michigan State's down at the bottom, Carolina's down at the bottom. A lot of the Blue Bloods are missing. I think it's going to make it very interesting. Yeah, first time since 1976 that Duke and Kentucky are not in the tournament. So, I mean, you know, that's a, that's a very long time. So, 
Um, you know, it's going to be a, a different feel, different vibe. But you know, once you start getting into it, the, the you know the ball tips. You know, you still got the excitement that comes with marks, the buzzer beaters, the Cinderella stories, the underdogs. Um, you know, a lot of these players that you know maybe they they're getting attention. You know, in their in their own state, they're on their own campus, within their own conference, but. I'm excited for some of these players to get the national stage. I mean, Cade Cunningham might be the, the number one pick in the NBA draft uh, out of Oklahoma State. You know, and, and, you know, I really don't know how many people, you know, have seen him outside of the diehard college basketball fans. So um, he's not quite like a, a Zion Williamson phenomenon, but uh, an all-around great talent. And like you said, those, uh, you know, notorious power players in college basketball are gone. Still got Gonzaga. Um, you know, Illinois, Michigan, Ohio State, some of these, uh, you know, Alabama, you, you see these schools and they're like, oh, hey, is this the college football playoff? A lot of, a lot of football powers, but uh, it's going to be a great opportunity. Some, some great coaches, great, program, great programs, great players are going to get some, uh, some much needed attention. Should be a, a fun three to four weeks ahead of us. Yeah, I think it's been a lot of fun watching this whole season play out. And I think also I give some props to Selection Make. Obviously, they made a few decisions I don't agree with. Obviously, Syracuse being in the field entirely. And I mean, being the first four is one of them. I think on the whole, they did a pretty good job. What do you think about their what they did this year? Yeah, really no huge complaints. You know, I, I'd probably agree with you there. Um, with Syracuse, I thought uh, they'd really be sweating Selection Sunday. And, you know, they really didn't have to sweat it out at all. Um, you know, if anything, I thought, you know, maybe you flip-flop Michigan State with Syracuse. Um, you know, I thought Michigan State, certainly not a great year, especially by their standards, but... Uh, some really great signature wins for them in the Big Ten. Best conference in, uh, in the nation this year. Nine NCAA tournament teams. Uh, and, you know, they had some COVID issues during the middle of the season that, that really kind of hurt them, uh, you know, kind of set them back. But I thought they regrouped enough to kind of get off that first four line. But, um, you know, outside of that, you know, I thought the, the top of the bracket, the ones, you know, the one seeds, those are pretty much set in stone even before the conference tournaments got underway, you know, unless – you know, Illinois got upset in the first round or something like that of their conference tournament. But, um, you know, I thought Oklahoma State was underseeded a bit. Um, you know, I think they're an elite A caliber team. You know, I talked about Cade Cunningham, guys, you know, one of the best players in the nation. Um, so I thought they could have been on, on that three line, Big t- Big 12 right behind the Big 10 uh, in terms of uh, conference supremacy this year. So, you know, by and large, I thought the committee did a, a great job filling out the brackets, but you know, when you're ranking 68 teams here, you you know you're you're bound to have a few uh, a few that raise a few eyebrows. Michigan State, Syracuse, Oklahoma State were just a few that uh, were a little puzzling for me. Yeah, most part pretty good. I think the interesting thing though going into this term is that we have an undefeated team in Gonzaga, which probably the best bulldog team Marfu's ever had, an elite offensive team. It sort of feels like one of those years to me where it's like okay. Do you pick Gonzaga or you take the field to win the win the thing? The last time I really think they felt that way was the Kentucky team that entered on defeat. They ended up losing the Final Four. Do you think this is one of those Gonzaga or the field years? Kind of. You know, I, I haven't filled up my bracket yet. You know, I, like, filled it out mentally. Um, but, yeah, you know, Gonzaga is, by and large, the best team in the country. Uh, I don't think they're infallible. I don't think they're quite to the level that, that, that uh, Anthony Davis Kentucky team was. Uh, but I do think this is the best Gonzaga team that Mark Few has had. Um, you know, Corey Kispert, Drew Timmy, um, you know, Jalen Suggs, you know, Jalen Suggs, he's not the typical Gonzaga recruit. You know, this guy could have gone, you know, Duke, Kentucky, anywhere he wanted, and it goes to Gonzaga. 
So they have the uh, athletic profile that's, uh, you know, much more elevated. They're not just like that, uh, you know, gritty underdog story that they used to be, you know, 5, 10, 15 years ago. So I, I don't necessarily want to say it's Gonzaga or the field. They're the favorite. I think, you know, they're probably going to be the, the champion on, on most people's brackets. But, you know, Baylor could win it all. Illinois could win it all. You know, up until the, the livers injury, I thought Michigan could win it all. I thought Oklahoma State could win it all. You know, Ohio State is good. There, there's a lot of really, really good teams um, and, and some great teams. But, uh, yeah, Gonzaga, they're, they're the best of the bunch. And, you know, probably they're going to be my, my uh, team to cut down the nets. But, boy, that, that Kentucky team, that's an all-timer. Yeah, it really is. I also want to talk about some of the other challenges. You mentioned Baylor, obviously coming out of the Big 12. They brought back pretty much everybody from last year. That team was undefeated for a long time. They lose to Kansas. They lose the conference tournament to Oklahoma State. But I think the thing that's scared of this Baylor team is just how deep they are. They really throw 10 guys to you and, and have all the big quality players. I think Baylor as a team, I feel like, is a, not getting enough attention for how good they really are. Yeah, Baylor is a great team. You know, we talk about non-traditional powers and, you know, Scott Drew, what he's done at Baylor, you know, he's not recruiting the one and dones like, like Duke and Kentucky and, and some of these other, you know, elite programs are, and, you know, they could just pluck and choose the, you know, the top 10 recruits and, you know, those top 10 recruits, they're going to like three or four schools. So um, it's really been fun to see what Baylor has done, just a, a total culture change uh, from what they used to be. Um, they've come a long way and in really kind of a short time and, and Scott Drew, one of the two or three or four best coaches in, in college, um, you know, they do it a little bit differently, like like some of those blue butts. But, you know, that's, that's why they're successful. Um, and, you know, it could also be why, you know, those teams like Duke and Kentucky were not successful this year. But, yeah, just a super deep team. You know, offensively, defensively, they could beat you both ways. Uh, just the system that Scott Drew runs, the culture, just, you know, kind of everything about them. It's, it's like one of the best things that I love about college football, college basketball. It's all about culture. It's all about making guys fit in the system that they run and just kind of accentuating the talents that they bring and complementary talents. Everybody kind of playing off of each other. I, I saw earlier today, Jared Butler is the betting favorite to be the March Madness most outstanding player. Like probably not going to be the first name you think of, but you know, then when you think about it, it's like, you know what, actually, that, that does make a lot of sense. Like, Baylor could win it all. You know, he's the best player on one of the best teams. And, you know, you know, it's not just him. Davion Mitchell is outstanding. You know, two studs could be on the, the most outstanding uh, tournament team here when it's all said and done. So, I love Baylor. I don't know if I'm going to have him win it at all. I'll, I'll probably have him get into the Final Four, probably. Uh, but it's been fun watching uh, what Scott Drew's been able to do, put his mark on that program. And, uh, Indiana job opened up earlier today. I'm sure Indiana's going to throw piles and piles of money at him to see if they'll leave Waco. But, you know, Baylor, they're going to have to pony up to keep him around, uh, you know, if they want to keep, uh, you know, getting the one seed year in and year out. Yeah, another coach who's doing the good job changing the culture of his program is Brad Underwood over at Illinois because that team was underachieving the Big Ten for years. This year they have Ayo DeSumo and Kofi Cokeburn both come back after testing the NBA waters. They've been peaking down the stretch, won 14 to the last 15 games, the Big Ten tournament title. I mean, if you're looking for a team other than Gonzaga as a trendy pick to win, I think Illinois is going to be that team. Yeah, you know, I'm in Illinois. I grew up an Illinois fan. Uh, you know, they were always really good at basketball. You know, came close a couple times, Final Four in 89. Uh, that 2005 team might be my, my favorite college basketball team ever. Uh, you know, Darren Williams, D. Brown, Luther Head, Roger Powell, James Augustine. 
Uh, Bruce Weber as a coach, you know, after Bill Self left, we thought, oh boy, here we go. We're going to, you know, regress a little bit. Uh, the regression came a couple years after those studs left, but, um, you know, this is the best team since that 05 squad that Illinois had. Uh, you know, like you said, getting those guys back, Iowa and Kofi, you know, probably weren't going to be lottery picks last year. Uh, they've certainly helped their cause this year. I'm not really sure how high they're going to go in the NBA draft, but, you know, when you talk about college, they're just, you know, they're outstanding. AO is so clutch. You know, he's got the Batman mask going now, but, um, yeah, Brad Underwood has been phenomenal, as good as advertised, as good as advertised exceeding expectations. Um, you know, it, it was bad, you know, for a while after the end of the, the Weber era and the, and the gross era, that was just, it did not go well. So, you know, it's exciting times for, for fighting Illini fans, you know, outside of Gonzaga, hottest team in college basketball, really just blitzed through some, some great teams, uh, you know, Michigan and Iowa, especially. And then, you know, was it was almost kind of toying with Ohio state there for a little bit in the, the big 10 championship game credit Ohio state. I think Ohio state's a great team in their own right. Uh, kept coming back, kept, kept coming back. Uh, but Illinois put them away in overtime, but, um, yeah, I, uh, you know, Oklahoma State being in that bracket with Illinois, it makes me a little nervous. You know, I've talked about how much I really like Kate Cunningham, but um, that could be a, a showdown that, um, you know, is one of the best games that we have in March Madness if, if it comes to that. But, yeah, Illinois, they might be uh, the team to beat outside of Gonzaga. Yeah, right now they're in the same – they're in the Midwest bracket with Oklahoma State. They're going to be up in the Sweet 16. That would be a hell of a matchup between Kate Cunningham and Ayo DeSumo. And, I mean – for people who have not watched a lot of Kate Cunningham, I feel like, especially considering he's at Oklahoma State and not like at Duke or Kentucky, people didn't see him as much. Like, how do you des- describe his game? I feel like he's very he's a very interesting player to break down. Yeah, you know, I've I've been asking a lot of people that that same question. You know, it's like he's like a six eight point guard. You know, he he's just he he could do it all. You know, he's he's not like Zion Williamson. It's like, I don't want to compare anybody to LeBron James, you know, but LeBron is like that six, eight, you know, point forward whenever, you know, maybe he's a little bit of, you know, Grand Hill, even going a little bit further back. So maybe he's got a little Tracy McGrady in his game. Maybe he's got a little Kobe in his game. It's like, God, I hate doing that. You know, comparing college freshmen to some of the immortals (laughs) of basketball, but, so the guy's an all-around versatile talent, six eight, long, lengthy, uh, shoot the three. You know, he's got a good jumper. He, you know, he, he's so young; like the sky's the limit for him. Um, but yeah, I mean, those are those are the kinds of players that you think about when you kind of compare his game to, uh, you know, what he's done so far this season. Yeah, my personal comparison is I say Grant Hill with better court vision. That's why I think Kate Cunningham really there you uh, go too, because he's a much better passer than Grant Hill was. Yeah, absolutely. And we saw Grant Hill before the injuries, you know, took him out. And, you know, he had three years or, or four years. Yeah, three years at Duke. Yeah, I think he was yeah. one of the, the first guys that didn't stay all four for K. But, uh, yeah, he was, you know, sensational for multiple years at Duke. You know, multiple Final Four runs. Uh, then he comes in the NBA. And, he, you know, he's an all-star right away as a rookie. And, you know, then the injuries happened. And he's one of the greatest what-if, uh, you know, cases in NBA history. But, this is the kind of guy that that Cade Cunningham is. He, he's going to be the number one pick. He's going to be, you know, a great player for a long, long time. It's, it's just going to be interesting to see where he lands in the NBA and, and you know the coaching staff in place and what other players around him. Um, you know, we, we've seen great players go to just terrible organizations and you know they bust. Um, you know, and being a bust is a complicated thing. You know, it's a, a lot of factors that go into play there. So he goes to a 
say. He's not going to go to a great situation. Obviously, he's going to a losing team at the top of the lottery. But, um, you know, if there are a couple players around him, stable coaching staff in place, this guy's going to be good and real good. Yeah, he is. Let's talk about some of these teams in the field. Obviously, we've talked about a lot of the highlights, but there are some teams I think coming in here are pretty vulnerable to getting picked off early. Who are some teams you were looking at saying, I wouldn't be betting that farm on them getting deep into this tournament? Man, I touched on Michigan, you know, losing Isaiah Livers, you know, their best player, or at least certainly one of their, their two best players. Him going down out indefinitely, maybe he could come back at some point during the tournament, but potential second-round game against LSU, who, you know, really gave Alabama everything they could handle uh, in the SEC championship game. They knocked off Arkansas, who was one of the hotter teams uh, in the country as well. Michigan, LSU, potential second-round matchup. That's an interesting one for me. Um, beyond that, uh, let me think here as I kind of scan the bracket. Oh, speaking of Arkansas, that uh, that three fourteen matchup against Colgate. This is going to be an absolute barn burner. You know, first one to a hundred is going to win that game. You know, if we're talking big upsets, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Arkansas lost to Colgate. Uh, I'm not necessarily going to bet that one, but uh, that's definitely one that you know kind of piqued my curiosity when the brackets were coming out in real time. Um, gosh, other than that, you know, it, it, Colorado maybe losing to Georgetown. I really liked what Georgetown did in the Big East tournament. Patrick Ewing there coaching his alma mater, Georgetown. Uh, definitely had some some rough, rough, rough years. You know, John Thompson passed away earlier this year. Maybe there's a little bit of a, I don't want to say team of destiny vibe here because I don't think they're going to go too far you know even if they do beat Colorado I think they lose to Florida State in the next game but uh, Colorado is a five seed and I don't know if Colorado is a going to be you know thought to do a whole lot but that's one of those 12-5 matchups where where we know upsets are 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 happening so uh, that's another one that I, I've kind of circled on my bracket yeah I've got a couple of more teams there I think they're vulnerable I think Kansas obviously because besides the COVID fact that they're not very big oh inside. yeah definitely and they look at their matchups potentially second round. You can see seeing Evan Mobley from USC. You could be giving them a problem on the interior. If they get through that, Luca Garza and Iowa waiting in the Sweet 16. That's not an easy road for the Jayhawks. Yeah, that's a great point about Kansas. You know, one of those teams that got pulled out uh, from the Big 12. And yeah, you know, it, it's so crazy, you know, thinking about COVID, you know, when trying to fill out your brackets, like, you never know. They might lose their best player. Like, you know, you know, knock on wood, none of this stuff happens and, and everything can be decided with their best teams on the court. But, yeah, it's a it's a big variable here when uh, you know filling out your brackets. You know, we fill out our brackets on March fifteenth or whatever, and you know maybe two weeks from now somebody gets pulled out because of COVID, and then you know it, it drastically changes things there. But yeah, that's a that's a great point for for Kansas. Uh, we talk about Cade Cunningham, you know, and Jalen Suggs, you know, freshman phenoms, Evan Mobley at USC. That's probably going to be a, a two or three pick as well. You know, near seven footer. Um, athletic big, you know, he's probably the, the James Weissman of this class, but unlike Weissman, you know, Mobley's actually played a full college season. So, uh, yeah, USC is a, is a team that I'm kind of interested in watching. Really, a lot of these Pac-12 teams, uh, the Pac-12, just like in football, you know, the basketball counterparts kind of get shoved to the side. Uh, haven't really had a whole lot of great dominant teams, you know, great dominant players uh, for the better part of the last, gosh, you know, several years now. But uh, Evan Mobley, uh, you know, what he's capable of definitely makes USC an interesting team to fill out in your bracket. Yeah, they do. And you mentioned some of your upsets before. You said Georgetown as a 12-5 can over Colorado. Any other upsets you have in mind that you think could be interesting? Oh, man, really putting me on the spot there. 
Um, you know, I, the first thing I do when I when I fill up my brackets, I, I look at the the five twelve line. Obviously, that's you know historically where where you're going to see some teams. You know, Tennessee, Oregon State. You know, Oregon State they won the Pac twelve championship. Tennessee. When Tennessee's good, they're good, and when they're not good, they're not good. You know, obviously it's, it's a lot more complicated than that, but you know, it, it kind of just you never really know which Tennessee team is going to show up on any given night. Um, yeah, I, I don't think Syracuse is going to upset San Diego State in that six eleven matchup. Although Syracuse, you know, I'm I'm surprised they're even in this tournament. But um, yeah, uh, let's see here. Who else? Uh, Winthrop and Villanova, that's an interesting one. Uh, Villanova, they were like a preseason top three or four or five team, something like that. Looked like a number one seed early, early in the season. Then they missed like a whole month because of COVID. So uh, that totally disrupted them. We really don't know what's going to, you know, come from them. They lose, uh, you know, their best player, Connor Gillespie. So Winthrop, that's a, that's another interesting one. They're, they're always, they always seem to be in the tournament. Um, you know, from the uh, the smaller conferences, so don't want to give the little guy uh, any disrespect, but uh, a complete opposite of a little guy, North Carolina. They they really come on strong towards the the latter part of the season. I thought they were going to win the ACC tournament. Uh, Georgia Tech was just a uh, you know a little bit better than them that night. I think North Carolina in that eight nine matchup against Wisconsin. I think North Carolina gets past Wisconsin, but then that'll set up an interesting Baylor versus North Carolina game in the second round. Um, you know, North Carolina's got some great bigs, you know, three or four great, you know, big bodies that could go against Baylor. Um, that's a game that could be interesting, you know, Michigan and LSU in the second round and Baylor, North Carolina in the second round. You know, I'm kind of thinking we're going to see a one seed out before the first weekend's over. Yeah, I could definitely see it. I'll throw one more in the pile here. I think Virginia's in big trouble against Ohio in the 4-13 matchup in that West region because, obviously, Virginia's whole team is pretty much in quarantine right now. It's like a very low practice time. Plus, Ohio is a very, very good NBA prospect in Jason Preston. And this, this kid averages 16 a game. He went to Sully against Illinois earlier this year. He had 31 points, 8 assists, 6 rebounds. They lost by 2 to the Illini in Champaign. And I think very easily Illinois can knock Virginia, I mean, Ohio can knock Virginia off in, this, in the first round. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised by that. And, you know, I don't want to rub salt in the wounds of, uh, you know, for Virginia fans, but we've seen them lose, you know, in, in big upsets, you know, in the past with uh, UMBC, the first 16 to beat a one seed in the first round. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised by that. And this is probably going to be the, the year where I wait until like the last minute to fill in my bracket just because and I think it's Tuesday at, at 6 p.m., something like that, I think is the deadline for all these teams to like meet all the COVID protocols and, and travel to Indianapolis and, and all of that, and, and then head into the March Madness bubble. So, you know, you don't get any bonus points for filling in your bracket on Sunday night, Monday morning. Um, but, you know, now is the time to do all the research, study all the point spreads, see where, you know, those 5-12 point, you know, spreads. Hey, if there's a 5-12 matchup and there's just a, you know, a three-and-a-half point spread in that one, hey, maybe that's a game where you want to ride that 12. But, yeah, COVID, the COVID element is going to be huge this year. And fingers crossed that, you know, we could just get through this, you know, or we're, we could see the finish line ahead of us. But that's a good point about Virginia, Kansas, uh, these teams that had COVID issues, you know, right before the season started. You never know what's going to happen. Yeah, I also want to give one more game a shot here the first round. If you're Alabama, you're the two seed. You're sitting there. If you feel good, you won the SEC. Then you're sitting there. You got to deal with Rick Patino in the first round. So that's got to be not a lot of fun for Nate Oates. I was waiting for you to bring up Iona <laughs> and Rick Pitino. I mean, Rick Pitino, one of the best college coaches of all time. We all know about his baggage 
and everything like that. But the guy can coach. He knows how to win five NCAA tournament teams at five different schools. Uh, one of, I think, three coaches. I think Tubby Smith and Lon Kruger. Definitely Tubby. I, I got to, you know, if memory serves, I think Lon Kruger is uh, in that boat as well. But, yeah, Iona getting in there. Alabama, tough test. Uh, Nate Oates, you know, they, they, they've been great all year, especially on the defensive end. But, yeah, great story what Patino has been able to do. And I don't know, what do you think? Is, is Patino going to be one and done at Iona? You think he's going to be, you know, is he going to try and be angling for that Indiana job? I feel like they're going to offer offer him money for it. I don't, from what I've heard of him this year, it seems like he's content to retire at Iona. I don't think he wants to go back to a big school again. Yeah, that's, you know, not having a personal relationship and not exactly knowing the situation with him, I think. Now, he, he's won, you know, at Kentucky and Louisville. He, he's been around the block, you know. I don't think he wants to go into that kind of pressure cooker. I think, you know, Iona welcomed him. They give him that lifeline. And I think he kind of owes it to him to at least stick around for a little while longer. Whether or not he retires there, you know, who knows. But, uh, yeah, hopefully he could stick around there and see what he could build there at Iona. Yeah, it'll be fun for sure. And I know it's a little early. I know you said you haven't filled the bracket out yet. But if you had to go right now and say, here's my final four, what do you? what's the gut say? My gut is telling me Gonzaga coming out of the West. Coming out of the South, I think I like, you know, I, I think I still like Baylor, even though I kind of teased a, a North Carolina upset of Baylor. Uh, but I like Gonzaga from the West, Baylor from the South. Uh, like Illinois from the Midwest, the East bracket is, a, is the toughest one for me. You know, I, I think Michigan is the most vulnerable one. I, I like Florida State as a sixth seed, or I'm sorry, as a fourth seed. I like Texas a little bit as a three. I don't know. I, I like Alabama, but I don't know if I like them final four, you know. Um, but I think I'm kind of leaning towards Alabama coming out of the East. And then um, I got Gonzaga and Illinois in the title game. And I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go with my heart, maybe a little bit over my head, but I got Illinois winning it all. All right, there you have it. And remember, don't like these are just Patrick's predictions. Don't take them to the bank for your own bracket. Yeah, there's no liability here. If you if your bucket is first in the flames Friday afternoon, don't at me on Twitter. I am not personally responsible for your bracket pick. Yeah, I'm not responsible either, Patrick. Thanks for all the time. I really <laughs> appreciate it. Before I let you go, I'll be with also follow on social media, keep up with what we're doing over at Fanside for the tournament. Yeah, just uh, you know, follow at Fansided. Uh we'll have tons of great college basketball, March Madness stuff coming out all throughout the week. Uh, some nice features, some nice bracket tips to help you fill out uh, your bracket. Some of the underdogs, some of the upsets, some of the potential Cinderella stories, some of the players to watch. Uh, you know, all that good stuff to help you make informed decisions to fill out your brackets. And then, of course, during the games, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, all sorts of great live insight, analysis, highlights, all that great fun stuff. Uh, so come join along and follow us on the conversation. All right, follow fan side. Patrick, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Hey, my pleasure. Show me the money. All right, show me the money back for our first ever real NCAA tournament edition. Joining me today. The guy I talked about the fake tournament last year went to the Joe Lenardi brackets, predicted who would win if it actually happened. Kevin Wall from SportsGrid here. Kevin, how are you? I'm good, Mike. Excited to do a real bracket this go around. Because last year, the fake one, I was able to just to tell everybody, oh, yeah, I had Kentucky. Nobody could hold it against me. Uh, I know I definitely can't say that this time. 
No, because if you make the, the bad upset call, everybody's going to be on your case. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, you look, I'm excited though. What a, what an exciting time. We, we really, I don't think I realized how much I missed it until we got that selection show back. Yeah, I loved it. I mean, I was, watch, I was watching it, and you see the kids jumping up in the air when they see their names on the screen. It just get, gives you all the juice. You get ready to go. Yeah, it, very, very exciting, man. And, um, you know, it's funny. You just you start going through the bracket, and you're like, yep, madness is the right word. They really they really nailed down that phrase. Yeah, before we dive into the magic, here, we got to talk about Iona here because you and I had some fun on Twitter last week when they were going through the conference tournament. You were both a lot mm-hmm. Iona alums, and... It's definitely a lot of fun seeing them in the dance again under Rick Pitino. And it's a very exciting year for them. Yeah, look, at the end of the day, no team in the country had a longer pause in between single games. 50-plus days Iona went in between single games. Uh, you know, eventually got it back up and running and then just couldn't get it going because of all these COVID issues. Shut it down. We're off uh, well over a week before the MAC tournament. So to show up in the MAC tournament as a night seed, having to play Siena uh, in their second game in the MAC tournament. And that was something that was concerning for me because that game had a championship vibe to it. For anybody that watched it, it felt like, oh, whoever wins this game is going to win the MAC. But it's never that simple. Impressed with the job that Patino did. Obviously, things were tough. I know you and I were kind of talking a little bit about the job that he did. I just, I don't want Tim Kloos and, and all of his accomplishments to get lost in the shuffle. Mike, we've followed this program as alum. You know, a lot of people, oh, wow, Rick Matino took Iona to the dance. Hey, listen, five years in a row, they've gone to the NCAA tournament. This is Rick's first year. Tim Kloos, uh had this, you know, program becoming a true powerhouse in this conference. And I think Patino absolutely has the ability, though, to grow it and maybe even take it to that next level. Yeah, I know Rick Pitino himself said in his post-game press, the first thing he said was, I got to give credit to Tim Kloos for what he built here. And I was sort of, he sort of coming in here, sort of adding rocket fuel to the foundation that, who's built and you're thinking okay maybe next year two years beyond that maybe mm-hmm. this team can be really make a run in march but considering this team played about five games in about two and a half months that's an impressive feat because he sounds yeah. like some of these teams struggle coming off the COVID pause this year i know absolutely right think about a team even as good as baylor played iowa state their first game after a three-week COVID delay as 24 point favorites hardly won that game single digit victory they trailed the lion's share of that game and then lost their next game by double digits to Kansas. I know that Iona's not playing, you know, Big 12-level competition, but still goes to show to be, come off of that kind of pause and get the job done is impressive. They'll now get the national stage there. How much of a game can they give Alabama? Who knows? I think Alabama's a very, very good basketball team. But just the ability to be on that national stage and, you know, show to recruits, listen, this is going to continue. We're going to keep going to that NCAA tournament. And, you know, next year, maybe be on TV a little bit more if they're not taking pauses every three weeks, you know? Yeah, and look at the spread of that game. I feel like a lot of respect for the Patino brand name in there because I know it's getting 17 points against the Crimson Tide according on the FanDuel uh, Sportsbook right now. So would you take the points or would you trust the Tide to cover that number? Look, ultimately, Mike, there's only one decision for me. You know I'm going to have to take the points. What I actually like to do The last time we had an Iona game, they played UNC, and I just bet the over because it's like, ah, you know, Iona's going to get up and down and run it. You know, Patino's got these guys defending very low-scoring games during the MAC tournament, but, you know, Alabama themselves actually can defend as good as they are offensively, 
ranked second in the country in defensive efficiency. So, I mean, maybe it's an under game. Uh, you have to back the Gales, but Bama's a, again, Bama's a very, very good team. They got they didn't get some light, fraudulent two-seed here. No, they did not. I will also say, remember that Iona-UNC game? Iona led at the half, so you never know with some of these games. I know. Happen. Yeah, I made a little first half money line. Not mad at that. Yeah, a little first half money line would be fine, but let's talk about some betting strategies here, because obviously when you get your bracket hands, obviously there's a standard, oh, I'm going to fill the pool out, but there's more ways to play this game. When you look at this turn from a gambling perspective, how are you approaching yeah. things? It's a great question, Mike, and I just kind of want to make this point off the jump here with the bracket versus kind of betting game to game. Fill out your bracket. Have fun with them. They're a blast. There's a reason why everybody talks about filling out the bracket. I don't think March Madness would be what it is if we didn't all fill out brackets. With that being said, though, if you really, really like an underdog, and we know upsets are going to be coming, okay? Don't leave money on the table. Like, and look, if you're just kind of closing your eyes and you're clicking, yeah, give me Oregon State. Yeah, give me Moorhead State. UNC Greensboro. Okay, whatever. But if you're sat there, Mike, at the computer, you're breaking it down. And you're like, man, I just love Oregon State over Tennessee. The Beavers are red hot. They won the Pac-12 Conference Championship Tournament. And... Tennessee's a little bit of an up-and-down kind of squad. Go out there and bet that team on the money line. There's a lot. Like, they're plus 280 money line. Think about, you know, Mike, you're playing in a, I don't know, $10 a pop, 20 entries in a big bracket challenge. $200 pot, you split it up. Maybe you'll win $100 when it's all said and done. If you're lucky enough to, you know, have a good tournament, Throughout the rest of the way, you got to bet thirty-five dollars to win a hundred on Oregon State money line here. So the point I just want to make to people, Mike, is don't leave those money lines on the table if you are filling out your bracket and come against a dog that you really, really like. Yeah, it's a great point because I also one thing I look at, I, was, I look at, I try to fill my bracket out just looking at the lines because. Vegas knows these teams very well, and you see some of these lines that are tight and see some of these mm-hmm. where the double-digit Cs are only four or five-point favorites. That's where you're sitting there going, hmm, maybe that's what I should be thinking about more when I'm trying to find my upsets in the bracket. Well, 100%. And I think, you know, as you're going through this, though, at least right now, I am not in a mindset of, look, I'm ready to go upset crazy. I know it's been two years since we last had a bracket, but the last time that we did this, the Sweet 16, every single one, two, and three seed made the Sweet 16. The fours, two of them advanced, a five, and then a 12. You basically had the, like, all of the favorites run shots to the Sweet 16. So, yes, the round of 64 is going to provide upset. And, yes, somebody's going to get in there in the round of 32. But don't expect that nonsense Loyola-Chicago Kansas State Elite Eight game that we got three years ago. That's not how things typically go. One seeds are one seeds for a reason. Two seeds are the best team in the country. Like you know, they're they're right up there. Just for the Iona, you know, point of it, one hundred thirty-two and eight. Two seeds are historically against fifteen seeds. So don't go wild here thinking, oh, it's gonna like no. Some of these favorites you're gonna win, right? Yeah. For sure. I mean, the Loyola, Chicago, Kansas State, Elite Eight, you mentioned a couple of years ago. Like, a big part of that was Virginia losing to UMBC in the first round. That screwed the yeah. entire bracket up. Correct. Exactly. And I'll tell you this. I, and 
who knows? Maybe I'll eat my words. I don't think so. I don't think we're going to see a 16-seed win for another decade. At least, I mean, it took almost a bazillion years for it to happen the first time. And now all these other one seeds are on high alert because it's like, uh-oh, that could actually happen to us. I don't think you're going to see that for at least a decade, Mike. Yeah, I don't think so either. And I think the one of the ones here, Gonzaga, I mean, they are such a whopping favor of the rest of the field. Look at some of their odds on FanDuel right now. I mean, mm-hmm. they are minus 210 to reach the Final Four, which is absurd. They're basically laying yeah. money to get to get there. You're getting minus 1,500 to get to the Sweet 16 and plus 200 weight at all. I mean, the odds <laughs> of Gonzaga are staggering. Yeah, and it, it is impressive that a team that typically deals with the, well, they haven't played anybody moniker, can be so universally agreed upon as the favorite. Now, they played Kansas, Iowa, West Virginia, and Virginia this year. All those games did happen in 2020, though. Been a while, you know, since they had that level of competition in their building. But to be honest, Mike, uh, only West Virginia kept it to single digits. Like, that level of competition didn't really seem to phase them. I think the almost loss to BYU is about as much as you could ask for in terms of uh, somebody putting a real scare in the Gonzaga. And all they did was win the second half by about 20 points and still somehow come back and beat BYU by double digits. Gonzaga has done every single thing you could ask to earn their position as the number one overall seed. And a here, I would say, Mike, to them in terms of the futures market. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, you look at some of the odds of the other number one seeds, they're nowhere near as close to what Gonzaga has right now. Yeah, and that's what's going to make it really interesting. If you uh, guys out there listening want to play in this futures market, The you can grab multiple teams unless you think it's Gonzaga. If you're a Gonzaga believer, you're not going to you know grab the Bulldogs at plus 200 and then, oh, I'll also grab maybe a, an Alabama or oh, I'll grab a, an Oklahoma State. No, not an option that you can't. If you like Gonzaga, that's your one pick. If you like literally anybody else, you could grab two to three teams. Oh, 100%. And let's talk about the upsets because the upsets are what makes this fun, especially in the first couple of rounds. Sure. I have a couple I like. Who are some of the upsets you like in the first couple of rounds? Yeah, so what, you know, one of the real popular ones – right now, Mike, is this Ohio-Virginia uh, game, right? Everybody getting very, very excited here that the Bobcats could possibly uh, take down the Cavaliers. And this is one of the big things that I, I thought would be very important to bring up here is still some of the uncertainty with COVID, right? You know, Virginia's battling to possibly COVID. We don't even know. They're supposed to be without a player for the game against Ohio. We don't know the player. The fact that we don't know the player almost makes me think it could be someone important and they'd rather not say that line opened up at 10 it's down to seven and a half i mean under those same guidelines kansas look and i'm not telling you i'm going to take eastern washington here even though look they're as hot as they could possibly be coming out of their conference but at the end of the day no mccormack possibly again those covid issues Mike, it's been such an important part of this season. I can't turn a blind eye to that spot. Yeah, I think I'm with, I love Ohio. They are my number one like upset pick on the board. Not only because Virginia, Tony Bennett has said they his entire half, most of his roster is in quarantine right now. They can't even practice as a full team until about a day before their game against Ohio. Yeah. And Ohio is a legitimate NBA prospect in Jason Preston, who I've seen him play. He paid, 
He played against Iona last year in the high and center. I was in the truck for that game. That kid is really good. He has a mm-hmm. big future. This team goes up and down. They can shoot the ball well from outside. I love them. I love Winter, but we're Villanova getting six and a half points. I think no Colin Gillespie, big deal there. Also, some other ones in the lines that popped up here. A couple of these Rutgers get actually favored by a point and a half in their 7-10 matchup against Clemson. I think the Scarlet Knights are all undervalued. Syracuse, plus three. San Diego State cannot hit the outside jump shot. It's a big problem. You're trying to beat the 2-3 zone. Look, I think San Diego State, though, is a team that it's going to come down to how quickly they can figure out that zone. That's a great in-game betting type of game to me, Mike. Just let me get to, the, honestly, the under-16 timeout in the first half, maybe the under-12 timeout. Let me get eight minutes under the belt, and I, you'll probably be able to tell how ready San Diego State is for the zone and which way you're going to want to play that game. I'd be remiss if I didn't follow up, though, with your Winthrop Villanova point here. And I'm playing a little bit of devil's advocate. On one end, I feel like everybody's been dying to pick against Villanova. And that almost always worries me. The, like, you know, and Mike, you, you follow us at the gambling stuff to know the idea that, oh, the public underdog and how that typically blows up in everybody's face. I'm just a little weary, though, of going against Jay Wright. You know, it's not that long ago this guy was crowned the unquestioned best coach in the country. I get it. Two games without Gillespie, 0-2. I 100% get it. But for me, my I'm having just a little bit of an issue fading Jay Wright with this level of comfort that I feel like most people seem to have. Yeah, it's certainly a fair point. I think my also is a confidence in Winthrop. That team is 23-1, and one, make a very high-scoring offensive team. I just wonder how much offensive firepower the loss of Gillespie hurts that team with. Oh, and again, no doubt about it, losing Gillespie is an issue. And Winthrop's, you know, it's a good case study, right? And it has to, it goes to show just how, why this is so difficult. You mentioned, I mean, Winthrop is a 23-1 and one basketball team. But they don't have the pedigree. They don't play the competition. Had Winthrop been able to, you know, schedule bigger opponents earlier in the season, we would know a little bit more. We don't. They come in with that uncertainty, which is really March Madness at its core. Yeah, that's definitely very true. I also think, you brought up Kansas for one thing I would like, I do think they could get out of the first round. I don't think Eastern Washington could beat them. Second round, they run into USC. I think you get good odds mm-hmm. on the Trojans in that game. And the Trojans are good at one thing that Kansas is not good at. And can- USC has Evan Mobley. Kansas is not very big on the interior. It might be without McCormick, as you said, or he might be very rusty coming off a COVID pause. So that's what I would love in the second round is the Trojans over, over Kansas. Yeah, I think USC could very well make a run to uh, the Elite Eight. But when you look at that squad and what Evan Mobley could possibly do to Kansas if they're without McCormack, or even Iowa if that's who they draw, Luka Garza had his lunch eaten up by Kofi Coburn when they were playing in the Big Ten. Now, Mobley doesn't come with that same size in terms of, I guess, wink that uh, you get from Coburn. But, I mean, that's just a huge player, all of seven feet tall. That could very well give Garza some issue. Uh, look, and uh, under the, a similar guideline, Mike, how do you not look at Michigan State? Now, this is one of those games you never know because they got to they play a play-in. But last tournament was the first time since the inception of the play-in game that one of those teams didn't at least advance to the round of 32. If Izzo gets himself past BYU and he plays a Texas squad, 
he'll have the thing is like like this Michigan State team has beaten over the last month two number one seeds and a two seed. I know they were at home, but when the chips were on the table, Izzo had that group respond. Yeah, Michigan State, I had them getting out of the first four. I think they will beat BYU and get to that Texas game. I think the thing with them people forgot is that this team was ranked number four in in the, like, I think as entering the Big Ten season, they had some lumps, they had the COVID pause, they had three straight road mm-hmm. games right after that. But I think they are going to make some noise here. I think they can give Texas a scare. Texas, I think, will end up winning because they have more athletes, and Michigan State is a little vulnerable in the interior. But I think Izzo is going to be a big problem for people in March once again. Yeah, I mean, it's it's what we've come to learn from Izzo. I'm also very excited to see what kind of run Oklahoma State can go on here with Cade Cunningham because, boy, also, by the way, just what an absolute screw job, them being a four instead of a three in the same region as West Virginia. I don't know who in the committee decided they were done watching the Big 12 tournament, but, I, I mean, that's just unbelievable. They beat West Virginia in the regular season finale in the 4-5 game of the Big 12 tournament and then go on to beat Baylor and somehow end up below West Virginia in the same region, and that's absolutely criminal there. But Oklahoma State proved, Mike, that they're more than just Cade Cunningham which is incredibly exciting because they have Cade Cunningham. Any given game, they've got the best player on the court, plus a lot of guys that have stepped up around him. That Oklahoma State team is going to be very exciting to follow. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they, they won the regular season finale at West Virginia without Cade Cunningham. Avery Anderson, Ike Weekly, Ike Weekly had a huge games in that frame. And again, this is a team that's just, you worry a little bit because they're youth, but Cade Cunningham is just such a difference maker, I think. We get him into the Sweet 16. They take on Ayo DeSumo in Illinois. That'll be a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. That, that's the game that, that I'm hoping we get. This is the thing, too, at Illinois that's become pretty apparent uh, over kind of some of their games here. We know that DeSumo is their best player, but Coburn really seems to be that X factor because if the team, if they're playing a team that has any kind of you know answer for him or can get him in foul trouble, that'll mess him up. But when a team is hopeless, against Kofi Coburn, who actually went to high school right around the corner uh, from where I live, Christ the King. Uh, when when Coburn is in a rhythm, I mean, these opponents are just hopeless, man. Yeah, they absolutely are. Let's talk about some sleepers here, because obviously we, we have our upsets, but are there a team you have an, your eye on that's not getting enough hype that you feel like can make a deep run here? Yeah, you know, I, that's of course going to be in the eye of the beholder, right? Because you, you've got teams that are respected in the uh, on the odds market, like Houston, it gets more uh, got more respect than maybe I thought they would. Currently, on the FanDuel Sportsbook, tied for sixth best odds for the national championship with Ohio State. But I've also heard some people, you know, ah, Houston, you know, kind of get they're almost getting the Gonzaga treatment. Mike, ah, who they played? Some people kind of willingly going with either a Clemson or a Rutgers coming from bigger conferences to move past them. Uh, but I'll, I'll make this point once again, Mike, like for me, because I've, you know, gone through some of the past tournaments, I'm not like, I don't have some double digit seed making this crazy elite eight run. You know, I got a lot of, you know, one versus two, maybe a four will play a two. But I think a lot of our best teams are our best teams. Yeah, I think the one I'm going to throw out there as a sleeper is Texas Tech because they played in the Big 12. They're a sixth seed right now. They had, they played a very rough league where basically the top seven teams were all in contention for number one or two seeds at some point in the season. And 
They get mm-hmm. a game against Utah State, they can win. They play Arkansas potentially the second round. Arkansas is a team that has trouble defending at points in the game. I would not be shocked if Texas Tech gets to the Sweet 16 and gets Ohio State around for their money. Yeah, I, I definitely – I think Arkansas is a team that people will be willing to pick on. I, I think Colgate I could see being uh, a team that people are willing to pick in their bracket as a 14 seed. And ultimately, whenever you move that 14 seed on, you're going to be probably willing to move that 6 seed past them. But Utah State's no slouch. You know, they, they got themselves a win over a San Diego State squad, uh, squad, played a close one against BYU, had multiple wins over Colorado State. We saw – in our first four out as well. I don't think uh, that'll be an easy game for them. I'll tell you one team that I'm very excited to watch. Again, I don't know how far it's going to go, but I'm very excited to see what Florida uh, State is going to be bringing to the table here. I know UNC Greensboro has kind of been making some people think of an upset, but that ACC conference title game loss, I know a lot of people left negative on that because of the, uh, you know, Georgia Tech being able to beat them and Georgia Tech only getting a nine seed. Florida State lost that game by three despite breaking an ACC conference tournament record for turnovers in a game, 25. I think the Seminoles, man, Scotty Barnes, huge fan. I think Leonard Hamilton's a great coach. I think Florida State, now I think they will be a little bit of a popular pick, but I think with reason, Mike, I think they're a really strong squad. Yeah, I love the Seminoles. Another team I think is interesting where they are in the bracket is UConn because they have a player who can carry them in a game like James Booknight, who is a potential game-breaker. And they have a winnable first-round game against Maryland, which is a weird team because basically all their key rollers mean 6'5 and 6'7. So there's no real like position diversity in that group. And then they get to potentially, assuming Alabama in the second round, barring something freaky if Patino out coaching Nate Oates. But we're looking at a situation mm-hmm. here where like maybe you know Booknight plays the team on his back, gets hot, and they happen to pull a stunner. I, I think, and I hear you on that, I think UConn is a great test case, though, for this Big Ten. Bias isn't the right word. I guess just Big Ten love. The most teams that any conference put in to the NCAA tournament. And if you look through it, there's you know some underlying metrics that suggest this might not just be the best conference in the country, but very well the best conference of all time. So I'm very excited to see well, what does Maryland do now that they're playing a non-Big Ten team? We talked about Michigan State. What kind of a run can that be? Rutgers being the favorite in a 10-7 matchup as the 10. I'm very interested to see how far these Big Ten teams move on. I am too. And let's talk about some bets you want to make. It's not necessarily, it could be whatever you want. It could be Final Four. It could be mm-hmm. over-unders in first round games. What are some that you have circled? Say, I'm going to make these for sure before the tournament starts. Yeah, I'll, I'll throw out one here right now. Baylor to make the Final Four at plus 115, I actually think is a worthwhile play. Uh, I'm more concerned over the UNC game than the 4 5 possibility of either a Purdue or Villanova. And I know Ohio State or Texas Tech could be waiting at the bottom. Baylor, to me, is still on that same exact tier as Gonzaga. I get it. They didn't, they didn't beat Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State was red piping hot. It was a very, very close back-and-forth kind of game. Their one other loss, you know, the second game off of a three-week COVID delay. And you said it. The Big 12 sent seven teams into this tournament. But it's not just seven teams. Like, this was seven squads that spent the lion's share of the season inside the top 25 in the country. 
And I think the South is something, you know, I know a lot of people are going back and forth what's easier, the South or the West. The West, you make the argument because Gonzaga's already beaten the other top four squads. But I think Baylor should have their way with the South. And at plus money, I'm actually willing to make the play on Baylor. And then if I was going to look maybe into this futures market, I'm not mad at the Houston 2100 price. I really do think that that Midwest is a bracket of death, if you will. But I really think it's the top half of that bracket, Mike, that should be feeling hard done by. Loyola, Chicago, ninth in Ken Palm. Overall, ninth. The top eight teams on Ken Palm are all of the ones and all of the twos. So if this is not some obscure thing that you can't trust. And it thinks Loyola, Chicago is a top 10 team. Georgia Tech won the ACC Conference Tournament. Tennessee almost took out Bama. We've already talked about Oklahoma State. I'd rather try and grab somebody from the bottom of that Midwest, Mike. I think Houston at 21 to 1 is an interesting number. Yeah, it is. I got a couple of them for out there. I think Texas plus 700 gets to the Final Four is a fun number to play because this is a team that does not get enough respect. I mean, they did win the Big 12 tournament. I get that they had the no contest against Kansas, but this team had a good run. They had a COVID interruption in the middle of their season, made things tough. Michigan's vulnerable in that region. I think they have the length that they can take Alabama down, and they have enough mm. skill to beat Florida State. I think, like that plus 700. I think also, I got some over-unders to play for you. I think the over in the Arkansas Colca mm. game has to get played because these teams like to go up and down the floor. It's 162 and a half. I think you've got to go the over there. Yeah, it's the highest number on the board for a reason. That number opened up at 158 and a half, so people have been click, click, clicking away. Little betting tips. Don't be scared to play the first half number. College basketball, typically the first half total, you will find about 10 points lighter than the second half total. That's because the foul games in college can be absolute madness. The other day in that ACC uh, conference championship game, there were 24 points scored in the final minute and five seconds, thanks to Scotty Barnes taking a bunch of layups. So if you guys see a number, you're like, ah, it's a little bit high. Don't be scared to play that first half total to the over. And if it doesn't cash, well, you could always buy back in then at a lighter number. If they miss the first half number, your new in-game number might will be lighter. So I think first half totals will also be an interesting way to play it. That's true. I was under in the first round. Like the Wisconsin-North Carolina under 130 and a half. It's basically these two teams play because Wisconsin is always a team that's historically slowed down the tempo, runs the full half court, uses the whole shot clock. And North Carolina is a team. They back to the basket team. They have four big, who are big contributors down low. So that's one I could see this game being in the 60s. Yeah, I think that's a game though where you're, you're almost going to pick it based on who you really like in the game. Because I think UNC would prefer a game that's going to get a little bit into maybe mid-140s. Wisconsin certainly can drag you down, knock you out. Goodness me, that uh, Big Ten Conference cha- uh, championship game, not the championship, Big Ten, Big Ten Conference game uh, against Iowa was putrid to watch the final 10 minutes of that basketball game. So I think that's one where the total gives me an indication of how somebody might feel about the spread. Yeah, it's certainly true. And obviously, got to wrap up. We got to get some final four picks on the board. We are recording on Tuesday afternoon, Kevin. As of right now, and mm-hmm. you are obviously reserved the right to change your mind before the tournament starts. Sure. Who would you pick the final four right now? Yeah, so right now, my final four, and I talked about this, I'm not going like some crazy upset here. I've got a couple of ones and a couple of twos. I've got Baylor playing Houston, and I've got Gonzaga playing Alabama. Yeah, as of right now, it's also, I'm going to put mine on the record for now. Mike, I have reserved the right to change it. I'll let people know on the podcast as if I did. I I have three ones. I have Gonzaga, 
Baylor and Illinois getting there. I have Texas out of this out of the East region. So Gonzaga, Texas, Baylor, Illinois. That's my final four. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be really interesting again to see if Illinois can survive the Midwest. And uh, you'll notice neither one of us really said great things about Michigan. Boy, am I worried. Uh, again, similar to what I said about Nova here. Everybody like, oh, yeah, this you know Michigan team's lost it. No livers. They lost to Ohio State by a point and had a shot at the gun to win that basketball game. And look, you never know. Livers could possibly come back. Juwan Howard's done a great job with that program. Uh, Michigan is, is a team that I know is the most vulnerable one seed, which is not a slight somebody had to be. But I feel like that's not going to be a team a lot of people put into the Final Four. Yeah, I think with them, people don't realize that, like, even without Isaiah Livers, they are going to get the second weekend because LSU cannot defend a nosebleed. And they end up playing the Tigers. They're going to find a way to win that game because they're a better defensive team. And St. Bonaventure, I just don't know if they have the firepower. Because Sean D. Brown is a pretty good backup option. The problem comes if you get if you're running into Florida State without Livers. That's your issue, in my opinion. I think LSU, though, could give them a run. As much as I just, you know, I'm kind of talking against myself here. I'll be careful. LSU and the peak of their offense, if Michigan is struggling to find baskets uh, in, in like they did in some of those spots against Ohio State, they might be playing from behind, and, and that's always a scary sight. It is a scary fight. Definitely a fun tournament, Kevin. Thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, I can be follow you on SportsGreen and keep up with some of the stuff you're up to. Yeah, go ahead and follow me over on Twitter at the Kevin Walsh. I'm actually uh, quite close to hitting the 1,000 Twitter follower marks. That would be cool if you want to uh, follow me over there. You can catch me. On Sports Grid, Sirius XM, Channel 204, doing the early line, uh, 7 to 9 a.m. Eastern time. Then in-play sports tonight, uh, a little bit switch up on the night schedule there. That's 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern time, Monday through Friday, both shows. Uh, hopefully people can come check us out over there, Mike. Yeah, are you, are you going to be on any in-game lives during a tournament? Yeah, I'll, I'll be doing – so in-play sports tonight is very similar to the in-game live stuff that I was doing. Uh, and, again, that's 7 to 10, Monday through Friday at night. Uh, but I'll also definitely be on Sunday during the heat of things uh, for the round of 32, which is really exciting. I, I kind of this. I'm wondering if it'll stick the Friday wraparound to Monday type of deal uh, that we're going to have going this week. I'm excited for that. Yeah, I think I'm. I'm curious they're going to try and change that a bit because that would give them a little more momentum going into that second week. Yeah, it's, you know, there are certain things that are being born out of COVID times in sports that might have staying power. Like, I think the runner on second base uh, in extra innings in baseball, I'm fine with that. I know people think it ruins the game, but look, we do shootouts in hockey. Like, your regular season games are not meant to go for seven hours. They're just not. I think this could be something that uh, is created and. The thing that people, everyone just feels so weird that Monday after you'd, all you did was watch college basketball. It's very unsettling. So to kind of do a little wrap around there, I don't mind it. No, I don't mind it either. I mean, you. I think also the network probably would like it a little better because then you get some more, especially that second weekend, you have like games in primetime Monday and Tuesday. Yeah, again, I, I, think, I think the schedule could be here to say, but also you never know. I, we, we might get to Monday and be like, oh gosh, I can't handle this anymore. So we'll we'll have to see how it plays out. Yeah, we'll have to see. Kevin, thanks again. I really appreciate it. Yeah, you got it, Mike. Always a blast. The two minute drill.
All right, two-minute drill time here. Just a little bit of friendly advice to you guys as you're getting ready for your bracket pools. I know you're giving you a lot of pointers on the podcast to help you fill out your bracket. The one pet peeve I have with the bracket pools, I hate the people who are filling out five brackets, seven brackets, ten brackets because they want to win the pool. This is very reminiscent of something I remember back in the glory days of Mike and Mike on ESPN Radio, Mike Greenberg, Mike Golick. Mike Greenberg was always the guy talking about the sheet of integrity. You make your bracket once. You make your picks once. You fill it out. That's it. That's your entry. Or as Mike Golick, Mike Golick, excuse me, would like to say, you play to win the pool and the cash. So he would have three, four, five brackets going at one time to try and win the pool. I think that is such a stupid strategy because this is not something simple like hedging your bet. This is not like, oh, I'm going to bet on the Kansas City Chiefs in the Super Bowl, but I'm going to bet the Tampa money line, give myself a hedge in case the Bucs win the game. There are 67 separate events in here. And yes, I get that, okay, Maybe one time you don't want to pick Gonzaga to win. You're going to pick Baylor, for instance. That's one thing, but you're going to make a separate bracket and just change one thing. How much money are you throwing away on stuff like that? Unless you have a completely radically different theory on why this is going to happen. Like if you have questionable picks, you have your toss-ups, the ones you're not sure about. You go all one way on one bracket, flip it the other way on the other bracket. What have you accomplished? You just wasted, say, 20 bucks. For me, it's such a crapshoot anyway. I run a pool every year. I have not come close to winning most of the time. The best I finish is about fifth place. And this is me who lives and breathes the sport, who watches it all the time who will watch a random January basketball game between two of the best teams in the Big 12, who will watch that Saturday Big 10 showcase on CBS in the middle of February. I can't get it right. 98% of the time, it's that person in your office who just picks the team because they like the mascots or the person who hasn't watched and just likes the color of the uniforms. It's about the madness. For me, it's more fun when Everybody's on a level playing field, and it's one bracket. And this is my best guess as to what's going to happen. Not, here are my 15 best guesses. That doesn't make you some sort of bracketology extra you win that way. It makes you a schmuck. Play the sheet of integrity. Don't waste everybody's time at 15 brackets. All you're doing is inflating the value of the pool and not making it a lot less fun for everyone else who's in it. One bracket. That's my advice to you. Sit down on Tuesday or Wednesday. Fill it out. Take your time. If you want to do some research, go ahead. You just want to pick by throwing darts to the wall. Pick your head. Go ahead. I don't care. Do one sheet. That's all I ask. All right. And that will do for this week's show. I want to thank my guest, Troy Moriello, for hopping on Selection Sunday. We'll be doing some instant reaction to the bracket reveal on the podcast. Fun conversation there. I also want to thank Patrick Schmidt for Fanside. Take your time to... I'll preview the first weekend of the, of the NCAA tournament. A lot of good matchups ahead. Some good insights from him there. Also, I want to thank Kevin Wall from Sports Grid for breaking down the betting angles of the tournament. A lot of fun there. 
If you want more stuff like this podcast, including my look at what the Giants could be doing this offseason, remember, free agency starts tomorrow. Busy week for the Giants. Check out the blog over justinthesuffering.wordpress.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, all the usual suspects. Simply search for Just and the Suffering, all your favorite podcatchers. You can find all episodes there. Feel free to leave your feedback and star rating as well. Help make this podcast even better going forward. You can also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. And that will do it for the sports half of the podcast this week. Got a special bonus episode coming up for you later in the week. I'm going to be joined by the Sky Guys, Nick Freya, Pete Considori, Breakdown Season 2 of Clone Wars. Until they help you out about a week on the Louisville fans. This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.